this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know what we gonna do? We are going to defend ourselves because U.S.P. Newton says that power, power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. Power is the ability to define phenomena and make it act in a desired manner. So if we have the ability to define it, the only next thing to do is get organized, get organized. So when a pig walks up to you or a pig gets a job with the people, You'll be so organized, you'll be learning some tactics, you'll be learning some revolutionary principles, you'll be having some guns hit out somewhere, you have some proper tactics. That when the pig gets to jiving with you, the pig gets wrong, you whoop your guns out on him, blow him away, and then you have the ability, in fact, you have made that pig act in a desired manner. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambre, joined as always by my partner on the west side, as always. He's, you, he can feel the waves from his actual front door. Yeah. <laughs> Nando, Surfers are just walking by with their blonde locks. Exactly. And, yeah, their chiseled abs. <laughs> Nando Vila, what's going on, brother? How's it going, man? Good to see you. I'm good. I'm very excited for today's show for several reasons. Um, first of all, we're going to do a review of Judas and the Black Messiah, 
the latest offering from Warner Brothers. You can catch it on HBO Max. If there are movie theaters that are open in your town, you can catch it at the movies. It's about the life of Fred Hampton um, and the FBI informant who got him murdered, assassinated, executed. Like, there's no way to say this in a hyperbolic manner. That's what the feds, yeah. in, a, in assistance with the um, local police, did to Fred Hampton in Chicago in 1969. Um, we're going to talk about the movie because the movie is fire. Um, and we're going to talk about Fred Hampton's life because it's very relevant to what we do here on Woke Rose every single week. And so we're getting to that. But first, man, we planned on just dorking out on Fred Hampton in this movie. But Rush Limbaugh died this morning. Um, we're recording yeah. this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, Rush Limbaugh died at the age of 70 years old from lung cancer. He announced his cancer about a year ago to his fans on his radio show and basically explained like the shit was terminal and he wasn't coming back from it. Um, but he continued the show throughout the year. And, um, you know, it finally came to a head today. First of all, I'm going to say, well, I won't say that I'm happy Rush Limbaugh died because the damage that he's done is already done and will be felt for, I'm talking about decades, <laughs> decades. We're going to be dealing yeah. with the fallout of Rush Limbaugh's contribution to the discourse. Um, but I'm certainly not sad. Uh, I'm certainly not going to sit here and pretend that I'm mourning, pretend that this no. is at all a bad thing, pretend any of those things. This dude did harm to the American society. He did harm to our politics. He did it intentionally to empower himself, to enrich himself. And don't get this twisted. Rush Limbaugh is an arm, is a, was a mouthpiece for the corporate interests, the power elites of America. And he did that. He made sure to, you know, um, protect their interests by sowing as much hate and vitriol amongst white Americans against these other type of Americans, as much of them as possible. Yeah. Um, best believe Rush Limbaugh never had a bad thing to say about a corporation. He never had a bad thing to say about the power elites outside of the Democratic Party. Um, he never had a bad thing to say about any of the ruling class ever, 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 ever. He always targeted his hate and his vitriol to the most powerless, the most disenfranchised in the country. That's what his job was. His job was to explain to poor white people, if you do have problems in so much that they are problems, they are the problems manufactured by niggers, spicks, and fags, period. Mm. Period, 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 period. That's what his job was. Um, and so, no, we don't mourn Rush Limbaugh today, but we do. And I know Nando um, is going to be able to basically explain to you what the fairness doctrine was and how important it is to the rise of Limbaugh because he came to prominence in the 1980s um, during the Reagan era. And he became extremely popular in talk radio, what we now affectionately call hate radio. And that's how he gained his power. And he weaponized all of this hate, fears and anxieties um, to the benefit of the ruling class. And he did so masterfully. And yes, he enriched himself. This dude, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a hundred millionaire oh, yeah. by the time he died. Um, this dude got extremely rich. Off of the work that he did. So he enriched himself. He enriched the ruling class. And we are all worse off for it. 
Yeah, I mean, Rush Limbaugh, it, I you know, I forgot that he kind of still was still around um, because he's not as um, prominent in the culture war as he used to be like in the 90s when Al Franken wrote a book called Rush Limbaugh is a Big Fat Idiot. Um, but uh, <laughs> we, I mean, the joke's on Al Franken. We're living in Rush Limbaugh's world. We're living in the world that Rush Limbaugh created, essentially. Um, he is one of the original guys in that kind of insane right-wing media ecosystem that we all know and love today. There, you know, Rush Limbaugh walked so that Sean Hannity could run. Um, you know, Laura and Fox Ingram, News. Yeah. Hugh Hewitt. All those guys. It. The OG was uh, Rush. Michelle Malkin. Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the crazy blonde lady's name? Ann Coulter. Um, Ann Coulter. Candace Owens. None of these people. None of these people could exist without the work of Rush Limbaugh. No. He is the OG in that sense. Um, like you said, he came to prominence in the 1980s during the Reagan era, which was kind of the birth of the right-wing reaction, which we're still kind of seeing the end of, but is has been the dominant stream in American politics since around 1980 when, when, when Reagan won. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned briefly, in 1987, the Reagan administration repealed something called the Fairness Doctrine, which was an FCC regulation that sort of regulated the public airwaves, meaning um, the TV signals and the radio signals. And it was a, an attempt from the government to do some sort of regulation as to the type of news and information that can be broadcast on um, on on its airwaves, right? Because the airwaves are sort of owned by the government and they're licensed to corporations like ABC or CBS or whatever, you know, uh, radio network there, there could be. Um, and, you know, it was flawed and it, you know, it wasn't perfect or whatever, but it did sort of try to create a certain balance in the type of news that you would get especially on these airwaves, um, that uh, the Reagan administration basically ignored it and then repealed it in 1987, which was one of the reasons why right-wing talk radio, which is still a very powerful force in American life, was the precursor to Fox News, which is, you know, as everyone knows, an incredibly powerful force in American life. Um, and when we talk about things like fake news on social media and, you know, QAnon and all that stuff, you can't that that doesn't exist without this insane right wing media ecosystem of which Rush Limbaugh was probably its biggest ever star. Um, he did it better mm -hmm. than most. You listen to any Rush Limbaugh broadcast, especially back when he was really when he was really big in the 90s. I mean, it's impossible to not recognize that the man had a way with talent. Like he had talent. He had he was a good broadcaster. Mm -hmm. Like he knew what he was doing. Yes, he, he was. He was clever. He was, a star. he was funny. He was, you know, he was a perfect troll. Um, and you know, so much so that ESPN gave him a job on Monday Night Football and a sort of analyst job because they he was so big and powerful that they felt like they could use him to attract like a certain type of audience to to their network. Obviously, it ended spectacularly bad. Um as you could have predicted, but like that's how that's how big and, Rush Limbaugh was, and and understand that Limbaugh, and part of his power and his appeal, is he so deeply understood the hypocrisy of the Democratic elite, the Democratic Party elite. Yeah. He knew. Yeah, he was like, I got them. Yeah, I know. I I 
got them. Yeah. And I know my people are going to recognize the hypocrisy of these people. And he weaponized it to perfection. Like, these people are not champions of black people. No. They're not champions of poor people. They're fucking running a long con on everybody. Yeah. And it's nonsense. And he pinpointed it so perfectly and amazingly. And that's and, and quite frankly, that's why... And we try to tell you all the time, the reason why there is so much hate for the Hillary's, for the Clinton's, for the Pelosi's and, and, and all of these types of people, because Rush Limbaugh could easily weaponize their hypocrisies against yeah. them. And his people understood it perfectly. It was like, he is right about that for sure. Yeah. The libs get owned because the libs deserve to be owned. The problem is when the, <laughs> when the right wing does it, they're full of shit. But the owning is still kind of valid, if that makes sense. They just, yep. they're coming at it for the wrong reasons and from the wrong mm -hmm. direction. But the libs... Let's be clear, they get owned because they deserve to be owned. Um, and they open themselves up all the time for that because, yeah, they are kind of full of shit. The sort of stuff that they um, propagate and they claim to care about, they don't actually care about, which is why it's so easy to um, point out their hypocrisy on issues like race and poverty, right? Like they don't actually give a shit about black people or, uh, uh, or the poor, you know, like, uh, just look at any sort of liberal and, and again, and any, any liberal school integration initiative, um, in, a in a sort of liberal bastion, uh, like in the upper West side of New York, which, you know, votes Democrat all the time. Um, Never. they don't like, uh, they don't <laughs> like it when they school integration, when their kids have to go to school with the icky no. black kids from, from the outer boroughs. They don't like that, you know? Yeah. Or from uptown. They don't, they don't want that. And again, when your message as liberal elites in the Democratic Party is essentially you're appealing to moral, some sort type of moral authority, um, some type of moral high ground that you stand upon. And, you know, most of it is based on racial harmony and economic equality. And you're fucking rich as hell and you live in the fanciest parts of America and there are no black brown people. There's none of that there. There is no economic equality there. It's so easy for somebody to weaponize that, that you know, hypocritical stance and just make you look like a fool to an audience who's like, wait a second, these people are lecturing me in my life and my struggles? on how to be racially um like enlightened and all of this stuff and these motherfuckers live in the upper west side not a negro in sight nah nah mm -hmm. nah nah i don't want to hear anything else they have to say and you know and again rush limbaugh can't say it enough i think we would have been remiss if we didn't talk about rush and you know his role in all of this and so um yeah, yeah man <laughs> not gonna say rest uh, pour one out for the og riddance. yeah pour one out for the og good riddance um you won't be missed on this side but we have to recognize what the man's contribution is to all of this and um and so we move on we move on 2021 mental health is finally a thing so many people are struggling right now and aren't feeling like their normal selves therapy helps and it doesn't have to be sitting around just talking about your feelings so what is therapy exactly 
it's whatever you want it to be. You can talk privately to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or you're having relationship issues. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Black Opinions Matter listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash B-O-M. That's BetterHelp.com slash B-O-M. What makes them mad about it? What makes them mad about it is that they have black people and white poor people and red poor people and Puerto Rican poor people and Latin American Puerto Rican people of uh, all poor people of all descent. They have them caught up in movements based on racism when the black family party stood up and said that we don't care what anybody says. We don't think you fight fire with fire best. We think you fight fire with water best. We're going to fight racism, not with racism, but we're going to fight with solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it with socialism. We still have said we're not going to fight reactionary pigs and reactionary state attorneys like this and reactionary state attorneys like Hanrahan with any other reactions on our part. We're going to fight their reactions with all of us people to get together and have an international proletarian revolution. Right on. Right on. Right on. And that's saying all power to the people. That's saying that no matter what color you are, you're just only two classes. And that's saying there's a class over here and there's a class over there. And the reason that this class over here has never did anything to get this class off its back because this is lower, this is upper, this is the oppressed, this is the oppressor, this is the exploited, this is the exploiter. And these people in this class have divided themselves. They say, I'm black and I hate white people. I'm white and I hate black people. I'm Latin American and I hate hillbillies. I'm hillbillies and I hate Indians. So we fight amongst each other. And you, you've heard the testimony of pigs here. You got pigs of all colors. You know that. You got pigs that are white, you got pigs that are black, you even got pigs that are black and white. Propagating the same type of madness that uh, this buffoon Henry had would be propagating if he were here himself. And why? Because they want to keep you to believing that I'm your enemy and that everybody else that's black and that wears a lot of hair on his head and hair on his face, they want to keep you thinking that he's your enemy. Why? Because if ever you would disregard him and overlook him just for a minute and throw away that question of racism and start to dealing with a little logic, then there, could be, there would be no one else you could attack other than Hanrahan, other than Daly, and other than Tricky Dicky Nixon. If you make the right decision, then the press people of the world get complete satisfaction. I know you return to get rid of not guilty. Thank you. Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. a film by... Shaka King, um, only his second major motion picture feature yeah. ever. Um, he dropped an indie flick called New- Newlyweeds about a pothead couple um, going through some stuff, sort of like a dramedy. Um, I did not get to watch this movie, uh, but um, after watching Jesus and the Black Messiah, which again stars Daniel Kaluuya from of Get Out fame, stars Lakeith Stanfield of 
you know, get out of Atlanta of so many things you've seen them be awesome in. And um, man, uh, <laughs> I got to say, Nando, oh, of course, Jesse Plemons plays Roy Mitchell, the cop, um, the FBI, FBI agent, agent who basically yeah. cultivates William O'Neill, Lakeith Stanfield's uh, um, character, cultivates him as a snitch, as an informant. Dominique Fishback, who you've seen in The Deuce um, from HBO, amongst other things. She plays Deborah Johnson, uh, Fred Hampton's baby mom's companion, also a Black Panther member. Uh, they, The cast, they, they killed this. Just wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful acting performances. But man, first of all, Nando, because before we get into Fred Hampton, I just want to talk about the movie yeah. as a work of art, as a film. Um, Shaka King is a great director. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this dude has visual flair. Yeah. He has style. He understands how to shoot action set pieces. He understands how to do sentimentality. He understands how to do more morality. He under like his, his mastery of all these different tones in this film. I was, I was not expecting to see something on the level as far as visual flair as something like a Goodfellas, it's you can see all of his, you know, his film influences, whether it be Scorsese, whether it be Spike, whether it be oh, yeah. Sidney Lumet. Like this guy has visual style. Yeah. And a movie like this that's supposed to be serious biopic of serious Black Panther, Black History Month, blah, blah, blah. I did not expect to see this much flair, man. And this dude has style. That is the first thing that struck me about I mean, about the, the thing that struck me, uh, I mean, I agree with everything you said, but the thing that struck me was the incredibly bold, creative choice to make the film's protagonist the villain, right? Well, the, the and Lakeith, oh Lakeith Stanfield's God, character, bro. William O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, Lakeith. Well, he, he's right, not a cop, right, but right, he's right, working yeah. for the cops. Like yes. that, you know, the, that to make Judas the 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 protagonist, like of the of the film, uh, is an incredibly mm-hmm. bold creative choice, and I understand why they did it because Fred Hampton was such a larger than life figure. To to make him the sort of protagonist of the movie, it's difficult because he's so. He's almost like a superhuman, you know, he's not, it's, it's, yeah. you know, whereas, whereas O'Neill is a flawed, conflicted, um, human. you know, at war with mm-hmm. himself, constantly human, which makes it, which gives the the movie a much more interesting kind of narrative thrust in which Fred Hampton is kind of almost like a god throughout it. You know, he, he's, he's just this like. I mean, which is which was true in real life. I mean, he was just like this unbelievable, almost like superhumanly inspiring <laughs> human being. Like, how can you, how can you make a movie about someone like that? You know, centering his without without veering into yeah absurdity and farce. And when you get to deifying somebody in film, it is yeah. it becomes dehumanizing. Yeah. Right, like this guy was a flesh and blood person. He wasn't some person who found the scrolls and you know on Mount Sinai or whatever. Right, like he wasn't born of right. a virgin. Right, like this dude was a human being with human flaws and frailties, but he had great ambitions and and his ideas spoke to the greatest sort of ideals that human beings can aspire to. To pursue a life um in service of others <laughs> like it doesn't get more inspiring than that as a human being and that's what yeah. this dude was right and so you're right about that choice and 
I've I've sort of dove into so much media that Shaka King has done around the movie. And one, I want to tell you guys without cert without question, Shaka King is a comrade. <laughs> well, that, that's the he other choice that I was going to talk about because, like, yes, he is. I, like, I wasn't sure how much they were going to get into that. And at a certain point, this is a movie that came out with Warner Brothers. Yeah. At a certain point, Can you how get much away of with this yeah. commie socialist stuff are you really going to get through, sneak through? But he snuck through yeah. a lot. Well, you a know, lot. I, I compared to a movie that came out last year called The Trial of the Chicago 7, which got a lot of buzz, directed by, uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um no, Who he's is not. not a he is a very standard kind of boring lib. Um, lib, lib. And he basically yeah. took a group of radicals, of left-wing radicals, and turned them into like modern-day libs. You know? Like, that's what he did. Um, Abby yeah. Hoffman and 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 the rest uh, of, the, of the Chicago 7, who were not liberals. They did not identify as such. They were radicals. Um, and he basically turned them into lib shit. Um, <laughs> which, I, which I've been... I saw the trailer for the Judas and the Black Messiah, and I'm like, I don't think they're going to do it. You know, I don't think they're going to do it. Um, but, you know, always in the back of my mind, I was like, they're going to turn Fred Hampton into like, you know, DeRay Mackison or some shit, you know, <laughs> you know, like, right, right, um, right, right. Uh, and it's like, right. he was not that and at all. They did not. Um, in real life, he was not. And in the movie, they very carefully and meticulously explained to you what he wanted to do. He wanted to. All right, what divides the black people right now? There's some gang factions in the in the neighborhood. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure we unite mm-hmm. the gang factions and make them understand why it's important we do so. Um, why it's why they need to understand that we will accomplish way more shit together than we will apart. And so they're like, all right, go out and he goes out and he talks to Chicago gang members and he and in such a just a beautiful way. And then of course. It leads up to that scene, which I know you have something to say about, with the young patriots who are essentially hillbilly migrants from the South living in the northern part of Chicago, poor part of Chicago. At the time, media reports called it dilapidated, drug infested, basically how they talk about Mm. all poor people in the mainstream media. Um, And he goes up there and they're, you know, they're traditional Southern guys. They got their Confederate flags. They're doing all of this stuff. And Fred Hampton says, you know, yes, we were the slaves. You guys were the overseers, just as poor as us, but you got to be, your station was a little bit, you know, higher than us in society. But he says, what if the overseer would have gotten with the slaves and cut master's throat? <laughs> I said, when I heard that line in the movie, I said, okay, they're doing it. They're doing the thing. They're yeah. doing the thing. They're explaining what, the socialist mission is, which is getting everyone in the lower class to understand that none of this other shit matters besides the class struggle. The class struggle is central to everything. And every single point in this movie, Fred Hampton does not take his eye off the ball. Hmm. It's about poor people against the people who are oppressing us, the people who are in the ruling class. And the fact that they did that in this movie, man, I'm not going to lie, I got emotional. Yeah. Um, those scenes where he's where he came back from jail and he said, where there's people, there's power. Yeah. 
said, yo, they're doing it. They're doing the freaking thing. In that speech where he kept saying, I'm high off the people. Yeah. That's that's what gets me going. That's what gets me moving. What gets me out of bed every single day is the thought of the people getting united and getting their just due. I, I'm not, I, I hate to sound like a sap, Nando, but this movie made me very, very emotional. I was deeply moved by it. Just the message of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, you know, the that was the central premise of Fred Hampton's radicalism, right? I mean, he he melded both the traditions of like Black Pride um, yep. with which a is, yep. with a very robust class analysis in which he kind of <laughs> always reminded people, man, you know, poor people. I mean, the like white poor people, man, they get police brutality too. You know, they they're, they're yep. hungry too. They they don't mm-hmm. get healthcare either. You know, like mm-hmm. they, they, you know, like, and, and it's in our interests and it's in all of our interests to band together. And if we did, we can change something. If we don't, we won't. And that's the simplest fact. It's as simple as that. I mean, <laughs> I in that scene, you know, um, it, you know, the young Patriot um, leader, a guy named Preacher Man was standing in front of uh, a Confederate flag. Um, and one of the, one of the Panthers is like, yo, what the fuck? You know, like rightfully so. I understand, you know, like it's, it's a provocation. Um, to to a black person, and Fred Hampton like mm-hmm. just like walks right by, it. like he doesn't even give a fuck, like he could care <laughs> less about the symbols uh, that 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 are being because um, it's, it's a distraction. Exposed. It's a distraction. Um, but like I did want to talk about the Young Patriots because yes, please, you know, in in the movie, and I understand why they did it. I mean, they didn't explicitly say it, although they hinted that they might be kind of like a modern day, um, like a right wing kind of Tea Party group or something, and. The young patriots were leftists. Like they were they were on the left. Ex- explicitly so. Explicitly so. They were not a white supremacist organization. They were not a uh, conservative organization. They were not a right-wing organization by any means. They were like you said, they were a group of essentially Appalachian hillbillies who had moved to Chicago in the middle of the 20th century when there was a huge migration off of uh, rural from rural areas to the cities um, after the new deal. And, uh, and, you know, but they, they, they arrived in the Northern industrial centers and found poverty essentially. Like they, they were, they were just as poor um, as, as almost any other kind of immigrant group. And they were seen as, you know, they were demonized as essentially toothless hillbillies by the city's white establishment. And uh, working with the Students for Democratic Society, SDS, they founded the Young Patriots as a way to organize these poor white communities under explicitly anti-capitalist lines and explicitly um, black solidarity uh, lines. Um, the, 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 you know, they, they did, it is true that they did use the Confederate flag. Um, and you can, you know, you can, you can argue about the effectiveness of that, but it, it, it probably was effective to, you know, get some of these people on board, you know, with this kind of program. But they, from the beginning, they were explicitly like trying to um, cut the racial um, animus from, from like that existed amongst their population by focusing on a class message. And it is true that they then did ally with the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, which was a a Puerto Rican uh, radical group. Um, And, you know, so it's, it's obviously that, that whole thing was destroyed. Um, You know, Fred Hampton's (laughs) 
uh, murder was was a big part of it, but and but the Young Patriots were were essentially destroyed as well uh, by by the early 1970s. It was very short lived. But these people were leftists, like they were not um, they were not right wingers who were won over by by the Black Panthers. They were kind of no. founded on explicitly as a as a way to to change that dynamic to sort of um, create a multiracial working class. Uh, alliance and I just find I just find their history very interesting and obviously very you know it's forgotten and it's been kind of erased from the history books and I liked that the movie uh, brought it back to the fore um, because that was at the at the core of Fred Hampton's message you know he's like listen man class solidarity is the only thing we got it's the only and thing he, we got and he talks about it explicitly he's like we're not trying to create a group of black capitalists. We're not going to fight no. the capitalist structure with some type of racialized capitalism that could somehow become better because no, because capitalism is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the entire problem is. So we're not going to come up in here and indoctrinate people to be black capitalists. No, we're, we're explaining that the only solution to the capitalist problem is socialism. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like, and it's to get people to understand that, like, and it's the only these, solution to black oppression. Yes. Period. It's not black oppression will never be solved. And we say it all the time by 10 more Oprah's Jay Z's Michael Jordan's Yeah, that will never solve the problem. Y'all <laughs> like, that's not how we get out of this. You know, like it, by nature of being a billionaire, only but so many people get to be that. And the people who get there are not going to spend their time. They're going to be like, oh, I'm a billionaire now. So now I dedicate my life to giving jobs and livable wages to the myriad of poor black people out in the world. Like Oprah, Jay-Z and Puffy haven't decided that what they're going to do is uplift the poor pe black people of America. That's just, that's, that's never going to be the case. They're going to yeah. be like, here's a job at Ciroc. Yeah. And I'm going to underpay you by the way. And I'm going to give you as little um benefits as possible, but you get the clout of being tied to my celebrity. They're just capitalists. They're, yeah. they're all just capitalists who happen to be black. And, and again, the FBI is the fine with them. And the FBI. <laughs> the FBI is not we'll afraid of Jay-Z. never harass Jay-Z or Puffy for being Puffy and Jay-Z. Are you out of your mind? And, you know, I think that's another thing that we need to get into, Nando, that the movie takes great pains to explain to you is that the FBI, their mission, their core mission, says to them that what Friend Hampton is trying to do is a threat to the entire existence of that core mission. Yeah. Like any threat to the established power, the established, not even the established power, the established power structure, yeah. right? How power gets divided upon, gets divided out. Any threat to that structure is a problem and is anathema to the existence of the FBI. Because again, with the movie... What the movie, I think, is trying to explain to you is that the state is an instrument of the power structure. The state is not what it's supposed to be, meaning a check on that power. 
No. It's supposed to be a check on that power, but instead it works in reverse. And the, the state only works to reinforce the current power structure. And that's what the FBI was doing. It was like, hold on. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because this guy goes to prison and he becomes a hero. Let's no 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 no. We don't want to do that. We don't want to make him more famous. We don't want to make him a hero. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. And that's what they did. One of my favorite scenes was when Jesse Plemons realizes that this goes like way way higher than him. You know, Jesse Plemons is the is the handler for <laughs> O'Neill, right? He's like the one of the main villains of the movie. Um, but he's in a way kind of like a true believer. You know, yeah. like in a, in a way he he's thinks like a he's white doing centrist good. lib adjacent yeah. type of guy. Basically, yeah. when you you hear it when he when he explains that the black part the Black Panther is two sides of the same coin is the KKK. So yeah, yeah. Like, we I have used to, to fight against the KKK. We squash the KKK, yeah. and we're going to squash these guys too. Yeah, yeah. And but there's there's a hilarious scene. I mean, d- darkly funny scene yes. in which, like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, like, uh, they 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 found the snitch in in the Philadelphia chapter or whatever. And the other FBI agent, like, who's like higher like higher up in the organization than him, is like, oh yeah, George Sam's. Yeah, we know about him. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, no, you he's, know, like, he's one of it ours. was like, yeah. He's one of ours. What are you talking about? You know, like Wait, we got, yeah, they killed that guy because we told him that he was the snitch and no, but the, the guy who killed him is our, is our guy. And he's like, wait, did, did you guys just like orchestrate like a murder? And, and they're like, yeah, what are you talking about? Of, of course. course, you know, like <laughs> what else would we like, do? Of course. What are you talking about? And he's about? like, it's great it's, because this guy is on the run for allegedly killing a snitch. And now everywhere right. he goes, we have the right to wiretap, bug, and raid. And do right. it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. It, he's just like, this is, yeah. it's working And so perfect. Jesse Plemons is horrified. He's like, wait, you guys like just like orchestrated the murder of a guy, you know? And like, it's a state sanctioned, like murder. Extra judicial murder. Of an American citizen. And they were citizen. like, yeah, yep. what, are you, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, of course. It's great. Like, I just, um, I read this book last year and it's it's mostly about Charles Manson, um, but it's called Chaos. Uh, Charles, It's called Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA and the Secret History of the 60s by a guy named Tom O'Neill. And there's a whole section that gets into the FBI and its operations uh in the, within the Black Panther Party and just the extent to which the Black Panther Party was infiltrated by the FBI, which was hinted at in the movie. I mean, just by the fact that it wasn't just O'Neill. They also had George Sams and they had thousands of more course. like them. On payroll. I, on payroll, you know, federal informants who were, you know, a lot of them like O'Neill were kind of forgiven uh, for some sort of petty crime um, that they were going to like see uh, serious jail time for. But like, I, was, I just want to read from um, a J. R. Edgar Hoover memo uh, about COINTELPRO from uh, 1967. It said that the the goal of COINTELPRO, which was the FBI operation to infiltrate things like the Black Panther Party, was to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize the activities of black nationalist hate-type organizations. The activities of all such groups of intelligence interest to this bureau must be followed on a continuous basis. Efforts of various groups to consolidate their forces or to recruit new or youthful adherents must be frustrated. No opportunity should be missed to exploit the organizational and personal conflicts of the leaderships of the groups and to capitalize upon existing conflicts between complete competing 
black nationalist organization. So, like, a, some of what the FBI did was things like just straight up murder Fred Hampton, right? <laughs> who, was, who was like a very dangerous guy. But the vast majority of what they did were to infiltrate these organizations with agent provocateurs, meaning guys who would get in there. It's like, you know what we should do? We should like fuck those guys, like those, like those fucking guys, like they, they like <laughs> yeah. fuck them, and like we should go kill them. And like, you know, the book gets into a case in LA where the FBI um, fabricated a fake letter, um, kind of like they do in the movie at one point, um, where they accuse, you know, Fred Hampton of like, you know, talking shit about another gang. Um, and they fabricate a fake letter and sent it to um, a, a rival gang in Los Angeles uh, of the Black Panthers. or not, not rival gang, just like a different gang. And they said that the Black Panthers were going to come and kill them in some, you know, event that they were organizing. So then a few of those gang members went and killed two Black Panthers that were just driving by, had no idea what the, what the hell was going on. And this led to a, a, a basically a war between uh, a lot of the LA Panthers and this rival gang called the, it was called the US organization. Um, lots of deaths, you know, like lots of deaths. This was instigated by the FBI. And this kind of thing happened a lot. Like a lot, like any sort of left wing organization, you you know, you talk about like, oh, the left always fights against itself around sectarian kind of differences. Mm -hmm. It's like often those differences are being stoked exploited by the feds. and stoked by by the feds. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's just it's fascinating to read the history because, you know, in the Trump era, I think that the FBI, things like the FBI and the CIA positioned themselves as brave heroes of Insane. America against Trump. Insane. You know, and a lot of liberals went along with it, you know? Insane. Like, they were thought like Robert Mueller was Bay. Remember like, uh, all I want for Christmas is a Robert Mueller? This is insane. Robert Mueller was Superman, Batman. And like, the only thing that Donald Trump represented a disturbance in the order the fact that he yeah. could come in and win that nomination from the Republicans, from all these establishments. Was not in the script. Was yeah. not in the script. He was just such a disturbance in the established order. Not that he had bad politics. Not that he was, you know, somehow, you know, dangerous. It's like, no, no, no. He doesn't come from the farm system. So, no, this is, we, we can't be anything but against somebody who threatens the established order. That's it. The order yeah. has been established. And so any yeah. interruption to that would be a problem. Like, man, like I'm obviously like everybody else who listens to this. I'm sad that Bernie did not win the nomination. But just imagine <laughs> the deep. Just just look at the little tactics the deep state used against Donald Trump, who did nothing but show up and do what? Slash taxes for the richest people in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine the chicanery, the 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 fucking what what did Nixon call it? Um, the rat fucking <laughs> that yeah. the feds would have involved themselves in during a Bernie presidency. Yeah. That would have been yeah scary. Yeah, no, absolutely. Real talk, scary. I mean the type of tactics they would use. It's 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 funny. I mean, you know, the modern day version of of a lot a lot of stuff that was depicted in the Fred Hampton movie it still goes on today, especially amongst Muslim communities, like FBI mm -hmm. literally entrapping yes. young 
you know, kind of young, disaffected Muslim kids and be like, hey, you want to do a, you want to build a bomb and like blow up, you know? Uh, Fabricating terrorists where yeah, they are not. Right. This is what the feds do with our yeah. freaking tax dollars. So that's that's still obviously going on to this day. Um, but it, it, it's, I, I, I want to talk about a little bit that the, the FBI in the 1960s was explicitly terrified of the Black Panther Party making any sort of alliances and solidarity with, with poor whites. whites. And one of the things that they were very focused on was Hollywood. So um, when the Black Panthers kind of were formed in California in 1966 in, in Oakland, um, you know, in, in Hollywood, kind of liberal do-goody Hollywood, they became kind of like a, a, a very inspiring organization. You know, like Jane Fonda, mm -hmm. Warren Beatty, all these all these types were, were were part of something called the White Panther Party, which was kind of like a uh, a solid a solidaristic kind of expression. Jane Fonda was out of her damn mind, by the way, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. 60s. That lady was willing to yeah. do some she crazy shit. She went to Hanoi. Shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my Lord, yeah. man. <laughs> and, and one of these organizations in Hollywood was called the Peace and Freedom Party of California. And they were explicitly allied to the Black Panther cause. And a lot of like Hollywood um, celebrities and liberals and stuff like that were involved. And this is from another memo, internal memo from the FBI, talking about the, the problem of these white allies to the Black Panther Party. It said, the Peace and Freedom Party has been furnishing the Black Panther Party with financial assistance. An anonymous letter is being prepared for bureau approval to be sent to a leader of the PFP, this white liberal uh, organization, in which it is set forth that the Black Panthers has made statements in closed meetings that when the armed rebellion comes, the whites in the, in the Peace and Freedom Party will be lined <laughs> up against the wall with the rest of the whites. <laughs> you know? So like, that's what they were that's what they were up to and the crazy thing the other fucking crazy thing about all of this is that we wouldn't know any of it we wouldn't know any of this if in 1971 a group uh like of essentially like left-wing uh like disruptors radicals terrorists whatever you want to call it um broke into an fbi office and yep. stole <laughs> all these internal documents and then slowly started leaking them out to the press. The FBI spent decades trying to find these people and they never did. They came out in 2014 and revealed themselves as the people who broke into the FBI offices to, to steal all these documents. That's how we know that about the Fred Hampton uh, That's operation. That's how we know about all of this shit is because a group of people essentially burgled. Know about COINTELPRO, yeah. all of this stuff. It became public because people burglarized the FBI. It's crazy. And again, and again just so you know, Again, the state that's supposed to be working in our interests, you know, how they paint it is that they scare the, the um, well-to-do people in the burbs and say, these people are coming to kill you yeah. and then eat you like cannibals because they're animals. They're scary. Look at their fucking leather jackets. They're going to murder you. Yeah. Right. And again, by the way, you can't you can't show me a bunch of Panthers going to the Burbs dragging nice crackers out of their cribs no. and just killing them and hanging never them happened. in the street. It's never happened. It's never happened in the history of this country. Um, and yeah, and I, I think the film does a great job of showing you the depravity of the FBI and the aims of the FBI, right? Like what they actually cared about, yeah. not protecting, you know, our well-to-do nice white suburban citizens. It's like, no, 
if these people really start rabble rousing in this t- in this type of way in explaining to the whites that they're real enemies are the people at the top? No, 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 no. Who knows what type of people they'll elect to office? Who knows what type of people they might try to kill? <laughs> Who knows what type of people, yeah. you know, this rage amongst the lower class, who they might actually target it at when they're not targeting it at Mexicans, Native Americans, Black people, Puerto Ricans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought the film was brilliant in doing that. And again, if you read some of the accounts that Shaka King is given to different media outlets. He was like, yeah, I was basically, you know, I got the idea to do a story basically like The Departed, except for, except it's based in the Black Panther Party and the this informant that got Fred Hampton killed because he's like, you kind of need that structure yeah. of, you know, the sort of action thriller type of heist movie type of situation in order for you to get it made. And he's like, I wanted to show the mirrors. I, he explicitly yeah. has said one person represents capitalism, being self-interested, being greedy, being all about yourself. The other person <laughs> represents socialism aka working towards a common good aka good versus evil i can't like i can't tell you how like i'm just telling you this shaka king guy has earned my respect my love my admiration i'm going to be paying attention to everything he does going forward because to trojan horse this type of message into this level of movie is just it's amazing it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that the the movie's fun and entertaining. It's, yep. it's not it's not like a preachy, no. you know, sermon. It's not preachy uh, at all. No, and, it's it's Fred um, Hampton just explaining like, yo, man, people need shit, and, and like, yeah. and they can't get it because the people at the top will never give you anything. You yeah. have to fight these fools for it, and you have to you have to band together, and that's the only way you'll wield any type of power. Right. Like that's yeah. all the message is. It's not like, oh, if you're a good person, you'll be a commie. It's like, no, like <laughs> people need have basic needs. And this is how we go about yeah. achieving them. And the only war that matters is the class war. That's it. The culture war does not matter. It doesn't. I get, you know, like it sucks when someone like says the wrong word or <laughs> flies a Confederate flag or whatever. But the war that really matters is the class war. Everything else is just noise to distract us, to divide us, to make us weaker. Um, I mean, that was that was the power of Fred Hampton, a guy who was like 20 years old when he was talking about this shit um, and, you know, had read all of the radical texts. You know, he read Marx. He understood uh, the sort of left wing traditions. That, that Bruh, felt in the part movie, of. They, quoted, they quoted Chairman Mao at one of the freaking <laughs> like they yeah. are literally t- like. <laughs> Yeah. Like in the context of China is great, then here's why. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they quoted no, it's, Chairman it's Mao. Crazy. Like, I, like I, I, man, it's insane, yeah. dude. It's insane. Yeah. This movie. Yeah, and they didn't turn it into lip shit. I mean, no, that's just the, that's not just the biggest all. miracle. I mean, I don't know. I was like thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about it because that 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 this was kind of like the anti Black Panther movie. I mean, the movie Black Panther. The oh the my god, Cosman, which which. You know, you can enjoy and find entertaining and I, you know, and, and that's fine. But the, if you look at it, if you look at its politics, it is like a reactionary as fuck movie. <laughs> like that is a, that is a, you know, that is a reactionary movie. I yeah. mean, I'm sorry. It's about, uh, you know, a 
a monarchy essentially allying with the CIA to stop a black radical, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's like what it is. I mean, uh, you know, like Martin Freeman is, a, is the CIA agent and, you know, he allies with an unelected monarch um, to uh, stop the rise of a black Radical, radical um, essentially, um, and that this movie was kind of the the anti Black Panthers movie about the actual Black Panthers um, and their radical socialist message, a message of solidarity, of Black pride, but of solidarity with all people of all colors who are in the working class, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, um, no matter what words you use to describe other people. It's we are all suffering under the boot of capitalism and that the only way we're going to be liberated is to end that. Ah, man. Ah, look, man, we talked about black Panther very briefly on bomb. Um, and we had a great discussion. Um, but I just couldn't help myself. I was like, me and Nando have to talk about this just as, you know, the type of people who love pop culture, we love the art that is produced in mass and pop culture. And we're always starved for art that actually speaks to <laughs> the things that we actually yeah. care about, right? Like, it's rare that we actually ever get that art. Um, and after what, like, in the real time as I was watching this movie, I was like, oh, my God, they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They yeah. are doing it. I in mean, this I, w- movie. I, w- I would love to get Lakeith Stanfield's take on it because he was in he was in Judas and the Black Messiah, but he was also in Sorry to Bother Sorry You, to directed bother by you. Boots Riley, who is a communist. Yes, he um, is. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, that movie is basically about how, like, calling your congressman ain't going to cut it. Like, the only way to get anything done is through uh, labor power, uh, through labor unions. And I was like, I couldn't believe they they somehow shoehorn an entertaining movie into, into that. that. You, yep. you know? Like, and um, if you... I watched a few Daniel Kaluuya interviews and he seems to understand that (laughs) Chairman Fred Hampton's um, message is about anti everything we're doing right now. And he Mm -hmm. seems to uh, he seemed to internalize what the actual message was about. It's like, you know, racial solidarity is great, but. What Chairman Hampton was on was a whole other bag of whatever. And it's just, it's just wild. Yeah. It's, I, I can't, I, I know I can't say enough about it. Yeah. It's just wild. You know, it was, it was great. I, I, you know, I was, I was very happy to see, you know, the treatment of it. I mean, Fred Hampton has always been kind of an inspirational figure for me um, in so many ways. When I saw that they were making a movie out of it, I was like, okay, let's see, let's see, let's see. And they fucking (laughs) delivered. I mean, the other thing that was announced is another um, Barack Obama, our friend of the show, um, just announced that he's going to do a biopic on Bayard Rustin. Um, directed by the guy who directed uh, the Ma Rainey movie. And again, I'm like, you know, Bayard Rustin is an absolute hero of mine, the sort of forgotten civil rights hero. Uh, the Martin Luther King's like socialist ear um, was him. And mm. the fact that Obama and his production company are doing it, like, I'm just like, oh, come on, don't turn him into like some lib shit, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like, don't fucking turn him into some lib shit. Because yeah. he was not. He would have hated that. Yeah. You know? No, thank you. Um, all right. Well, that's our show for this week. Of course, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're 
checking out every single other Count the Dings offering, whether it be Cinephobe, the Friday Mailbag, the OG Show, Wednesday Service with Naima and Curran, Growing Up the Same with Jay and, and Black Trey. Um, of course, please, if you can, become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash Count the Dings. That's how we're able to produce this wonderful content for you week after week. Um, man, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. For Nando Vila, I'm Big Waz. We're out of here. Later. Peace. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.